Hello, and welcome to Staycation. My name is Julia Weiser, and I'm a theater artist. Maybe. Or I was a theater artist um, before the pandemic. And now I'm just a sad person living alone with a cat. Um, I'm also a person who used to take a fair amount of solo vacations, who is now stuck at home, just like everybody else. Mostly, though, I'm a storyteller, by nature anyway. I come by it honestly. And I really can't help it. I just really like talking. And since my cat has heard all of my stories uh, at least a hundred times, I thought I'd share some of them with you. So the concept of this podcast is simple. For each episode, I'm going to look around my one-bedroom apartment and find something to tell you a story about. It may be um, a physical object, it may be a book, it may be a play I'm writing, Uh, who could say? If you have anything you'd particularly like me to do an episode about, please let me know. This is my first podcast, and I've decided to use the Anchor app, which so far seems pretty great, so uh, you can contact me through Anchor. You can send me a message or a voicemail, I think. Um, I will get more used to this app the more I use it. And shout out to my friend Kat McCormick and her wonderfully entertaining podcast, Miserable Creature, which she makes using Anchor, and which I encourage you to check out. Kat is a displaced comedian, and her podcast makes me really happy because, well, we can no longer go to live comedy shows, and also I can't easily even visit her right now because we live in different cities. And she's not only funny, she's also very insightful, and she's an intersectional feminist like me, so if that's not your thing, please feel free to quietly exit right now. I do want to say one thing about live performing arts. I know that many performing artists have embraced online performance during this pandemic, and I'm very happy for them if they are happy. But I just really miss the live nature of theater and dance, storytelling, comedy, all that. Um, I hate Zoom. I hate looking at my computer screen. I'm an, I'm an old millennial, what can I say? So sue me. Sometimes I wish I were more adaptable, but then, you know, I guess I wouldn't be me, so. Hmm. I do love podcasts, though. Um, they are really keeping me company through these very lonely times. One of my favorites is You're Wrong About, featuring another old millennial and a mid-aged millennial debunking major news stories and urban legends from my slash their youth, and I am very here for it. Uh, Also, maintenance phase. Sorry, where they discuss myths of health and weight and do some more debunking. Um, One of the hosts, Michael Hobbs, is uh, also the co-host of You're Wrong About. And through You're Wrong About, I learned about the vocal fries, 
which is a podcast that features two female linguists who talk about linguistic discrimination in a way that really makes me think about my own biases in terms of um, people's speech patterns in a way that I never really thought about them before. As for this podcast, Staycation, I may or may not have guests on the show in the future, but I'm leaning towards yes, so keep an eye out for that. And the other thing I wanted to say before I get into the meat and potatoes, or tofu and potatoes if you prefer, of this episode, is about the sound quality. Um, Like I said, it's my first podcast, so please bear with me. Hopefully this is listenable, and hopefully the sound quality will continue to improve over time as I uh, learn more about podcasting. So thank you for your patience. So what is this episode of Staycation about? This episode is inspired by my journals, more specifically my pandemic journals, of which there are at least five. Um, I really fill those journals up. I sit in this Ikea chair in my living room and I get a really nice pen and I get a cup of tea and I I journal. I've been doing it uh, I think since the very beginning of the pandemic because I had to for my own mental health. And I hadn't been journaling before. I have a sort of on again, off again, complicated relationship with journaling. Uh, I've always done it ever since I was a child. I had tons of journals and I didn't know what to do with them every time I moved because they're heavy. And um, I used to move a lot. And I have the feeling I'm gonna move a lot again in the future. I think it's just the nature of my lifestyle, my attitude towards cities and home and my lack of, just my lack of sense of home. Probably because I moved a fair amount as a child and um, I find moving kind of exciting. So I never knew what to do with these journals. And I would lug them across the country. I had them shipped on a Greyhound once, cost $75. And the whole time I was doing it, I was like, why am I doing this? And eventually I had to make some tough decisions and um, I actually got rid of all my journals. so really all I have now are, um, are my pandemic journals. And um, I don't know the future of these pandemic journals. I do hope to write a one-woman show um, for Fringe, maybe, based on these journals. Um, but in the long run... Like in 20 years, am I going to keep them? Probably not. I'm probably going to get rid of them the same way I got rid of the other ones. Uh, And I know that some of you are probably listening to this going, No! 
keep them. You'll want them when you're 80. And it's like, ah, will I? Every time I've ever tried to reread a journal, it's been so embarrassing. I'm so mortified for myself. And I think that these pandemic journals are a way for me to get through the pandemic. I think that it's the act of writing them that is helpful to me. It's not the future where I reread them. That's not the purpose. My grandmother told me that she's keeping a pandemic journal um, specifically for people to read in the future. And I'm like, okay, and Frank. But like, if I did that, first of all, I think it's a little narcissistic to assume anyone's going to want to read my journals in the future from the pandemic, since everyone's going to have a pandemic something. Um, I mean, it's a little narcissistic for me to have a pandemic podcast, but whatever. I'm also doing this podcast for mental health and survival purposes. And I think that's, uh, I think that's fair. And, um, because like I said, I can't, I can't do theater. I'm writing a play right now, which I'm sure I will talk about, um, on the show at some point or many points. I'm taking a playwriting class and I'm writing a play for the playwriting class. But other than that, I'm not doing any theater. And I think that, yeah, I need to do this podcast to share with all of you the way I need to do these journals and uh, the way I need to not share the actual journals uh, with my future self. That didn't make any sense. But um, I'm going to share bits of the journals with you, um, but not with my future self. So this type of writing where you just stream of consciousness write and you don't reread it, um, many people have um, talked about this kind of writing, but I was introduced to it by Julia Cameron, who is the author of The Artist's Way. And she talks about the morning pages where you write three stream of consciousness pages every morning when you get up in order to sort of empty your head and to clear the way for your creative work that you're going to do throughout the day. Because the book is called The Artist's Way, so she's presuming that you're an artist or you want to be an artist. And so the journaling is a way of, or the morning pages are a way of just getting all the stuff that's floating around in your brain, out of your brain, onto the page. She wants you to do it in the morning and then just like smooth sailing from then on in. And I just, not sure I did it when I was actually trying to do the 12 weeks of the artist's way. I have a hard time sticking to things, um, even though I 
oddly enough, don't view myself that way. I view myself as someone who does stick to things, and I'm disappointed every single time when I don't finish whatever it is. Um, so I'm not sure if I ever did finish the 12 weeks of The Artist's Way. And I'm not sure if I did the morning pages um, religiously when I was uh, trying to do that uh, that course or that program or whatever you want to call it. But I sure started, uh, sure as hell started the, well, not the minute the pandemic started, but pretty soon, pretty soon in. Um, because I was, I was devastated. And I mean, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I have a lot of many kinds of privilege, including financial and economic, and I'm fine. My cat Vinny and I are fine in this apartment and we will continue to be fine. So, and I know that a lot of people aren't fine. Um, but I was nevertheless, as a theater artist, completely devastated around this time last year, like say mid-March of last year, because like so many people, all of my responsibilities and projects were taken away from me at once. Um, I was working on a friend's show that I was gonna do. I had written it. Uh, I had a production team. I had held auditions uh, last February. I had five actors. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't clear whether there was going to be a fringe, uh, Montreal fringe in 2020. And of course, as we now know, there, uh, there wasn't, spoiler alert, there wasn't a Montreal fringe and there wasn't a anywhere fringe. Um, I was also in school. Um, I was working on this weird, avant-garde experimental dance show that I had been basically tricked into participating in that um, I wouldn't do anything if it was called dance <clears throat> excuse me but they they said it was movement based and I was like okay like because I study theater at Concordia and Concordia is quite physical in its approach to theater compared to some other um, places I've studied in the past and you sort of have to say yes to the movement you have to say yes to a lot of things um, or I felt I had to say yes to a lot of things uh, to avoid seeming like just a just a talking head or a brain in a jar and um, so I said yes to the movement but it's sneaky because it was actually improvisational dance and I had not done anything resembling that since maybe grade eight. When I was 13, I did modern dance. Um, so anyway, um, they had a guest professor come in from the US named Wendell Beavers. Yes, Wendell Beavers, you got that right. From Boulder, Colorado, of course because um, there are only a few places that a person named Wendell Beavers could be from. Boulder, Colorado is one of them. A person named Wendell Beavers could also be from Portland, Oregon, I think. Maybe San Francisco and possibly Vermont. Um, shout out to my Vermont 
peeps, if you're listening. I love Vermont, and I wish I could go right now because it's, it's literally below me. I live in Montreal, but there's a border between us, and I can't go, and I'm really sad about it. Anyway, Wendell Beavers, uh, he came for a semester to my school to guest teach, and we, we, the people in the course, and he, Wendell Beavers, sorry, just really need to say that name uh, as many times as possible. Try it. It's fun. Um, Say it out loud. Uh, We devised a show sort of together and sort of him telling us what to do. Um, A show that is indescribable. It's a combination of personal political monologues that each one of us individually wrote combined with improvisational dance um, based on the technique of viewpoints. And I hadn't even, when everything came screeching to a halt last year, I hadn't even begun to understand what the show was going to look like from a, and sound like from a design perspective. I mean, we had so many designers working on the show sort of felt like independently of us and so I really couldn't envision it yet but it was going to be a complete mindfuck I I could see that and it was hard um I'm nearly middle-aged and not in very good shape um I think doing some light yoga is exercise. That's what I think. And some light walking. That's what I think exercise is. And here I was in this dance show with um, mostly 22-year-olds and um, an aging baby boomer named Wendell Beavers who was in better shape than I was, which is embarrassing. Um, It was hard. I often didn't like going to rehearsal, and there were a lot of rehearsals. But I was excited to see what it was going to look like because I knew it was going to be wild and like nothing I'd ever been a part of before. And so when the rug was pulled out from that, I was like kind of relieved from a laziness perspective because I was, yeah, all that moving and crawling around on the floor was really making me tired, but also disappointed because... I'd never get to see what it would be like, and I'd never get to see the culmination of Wendell Beaver's vision because his process was baffling to me. Like, I'm a pretty... For a theater student, I'm a pretty logical, rational, realism-type person. Um, I don't really want to be like that, but, you know, that's how I am. It's one of my strengths and one of my weaknesses uh, as an artist, I think. And when I direct things, because I am a director, that's how I direct them, very logically, very organized. You know, I show up to rehearsal with a plan. And he was just, I mean, he probably didn't need a plan because he'd been doing it for so many years. But he was just freewheeling in this way that was inconceivable to me. It was like he lived on another planet. And I would, I felt like 
occasionally in those rehearsals, I would get into a rolling around on the floor groove where I would drop in on the planet and be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, I don't live here, but I, I'm happy to visit from time to time. And it was, it was completely baffling to me. It was extremely frustrating to me, if I'm going to be honest. And I feel as though I and the other people in the show were denied the chance to see the end result. And I think that I really would have learned something. I think I really would have learned patience, which is not my strong suit if I had been able to see the end result, see like, oh, that's what it was all for. Like, that's what he was going for. Because he, he's the opposite of a planner. I've seen YouTube videos where he's been interviewed about his process, and he doesn't believe in planning. He, think that, he thinks that planning makes for boring work. And I get that. I don't know if I could ever be like that, um, but I get it. So all that to say that that was taken away from me um, and everyone else, not just me. It's not all about me. I'm an only child. Uh, I think everything's about me, but it isn't. Um, and, you know, I had other courses too, although they didn't seem quite so all-encompassing. And it didn't seem quite so sad when we had to move online because... Um, you know, I was taking a cool class called Gender and Sexuality and Performance, but it could be done online. Um, whereas this sneaky dance show um, could absolutely not be done online and was supposed to be performed in April 2020. So, so close and yet so far. Um, I was also a TA which I was thrilled about. I was a TA for a directing class. Um, I love that kind of responsibility. I thrive on that kind of responsibility. Uh, it makes me feel important. And when we moved online, there was absolutely nothing I could do to help the professor because the whole, my entire role was to have been um, to help during the weekend when we were going to do the performances. Um, so when the directing students and the actors that they had engaged for their scenes, that weekend when everyone was going to be performing for a live audience, I was supposed to help. That was my main purpose. I had done other things. I had um, taught a class once when the teacher was sick, and I had... Um, visited a few people in their re rehearsals, but mainly that's what I was for. Um, I wasn't hired for marking or anything like that. And so when the performances were canceled, there was nothing I could do. I was of no use, um, which for me is a recipe for depression and that's exactly what happened. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be dependent on re having responsibilities to feel important and to feel pr like a productive member of society. You know, I'd like to be happy with just existing. And that's my goal for 2021, um, is to be happy just being a person. Um, 
I don't know what your goal is for 2021, but that's mine. I'm not producing things. I guess I'm producing this podcast, and I guess I'm writing a play, but I'm not, other than that, I'm not doing anything, and yet I'm still alive. I'm still important to the people in my life, and they're still important to me, and we're still keeping each other afloat by calling each other way more than we ever did, you know, sometimes even writing letters, emails, Facebook messages, just keeping in touch and just keeping each other afloat. So the journaling is just a tool for me to keep myself afloat. And, yeah, the reason I don't ever want to read them again or I don't want anyone in the future to read them again is because it's just my inner monologue. And a shocking amount of it reads like my journals from when I was a teenager. No, not a teenager. Uh, A young adult in my early 20s, in that all I'm thinking about in these pandemic journals, for a good part of them, um, is uh, dating and sex. I'd be lying if I said that my teenage journals were about dating and sex. I didn't care about any of those things. I had like a vague notion of romance as a teenager and and that I wanted it. Like, I wanted someone to kiss me, and I wanted it to be a romantic kiss. Um, But, like, dating and sex, no. I didn't date anyone or have sex till I was 18. Um, And I didn't even think about it, really, before then. I'm a very late bloomer. So, yeah, my diaries uh, from my early 20s are all about... Does this person like me? Should Do I like them? And the same thing happened. And you're probably asking, or no, no, you're not probably asking, how during a pandemic did I find people to have crushes on? Uh, yeah, it's Tinder. It's terrible. It's a literal nightmare. Uh, as my friend Ella sent me a, a TikTok once, um, I'm an old millennial. I don't know anything about TikTok, but she's a Gen Z, so she keeps me she keeps me young. All my Gen Z friends from Concordia keep me young. I like to think. Um, yeah, Tinder is a literal nightmare, uh, especially if you're uh, a woman um, interested in men. I'm a non-binary person, but I also identify as a woman in a lot of ways. Um, And I'm also interested in dating and having sex with men. And yes, Tinder is horrible. I hate it. Um, I frequently download it, delete it, download it, delete it, download it, delete it. Download it, delete it, download it, delete it. Um, it's, it's hell. Um, 
I'm in a relationship with uh, dating apps and it's complicated. Anywho. Okay, so as you may or may not know, Tinder was invented in 2012, which is also the year I happened to get into a serious relationship for maybe the first time in my life. Depends how, how you look at it. Depends how you look at my previous relationships. Um, and I stayed in that relationship until 2019. So I never used Tinder. And you better believe that I used other dating sites. I won't call them apps. Um, because I was using them on my desktop computer. Like Plenty of Fish and um, mostly OkCupid. And probably some other things. Um, but obviously I was curious about Tinder, so I downloaded it almost immediately after breaking up with my long-term partner in the fall of 2019. But I didn't really do anything with it. I just, I was just curious. And I talked to people, but like I didn't meet them. And I wasn't ready to meet them uh, because I was, well, I was just coming out of a seven and a half year relationship. So um, I thought that I wanted to have sex, uh, but really I didn't. I wasn't ready yet. I just liked the idea of sex and dating at that time. And by the time I was ready, which was about six months later, uh, guess what? Guess what happened? Can you guess? Starts with P and ends with Emic. So anyway, um, I did go on some outside socially distanced walking dates in the summer of 2020 and the fall. But around the winter, so just a few months ago, I started getting really, really, really lonely. Because at that point, it had been months since I had had sex. But also, we weren't allowed to touch anyone except the people in our home. So like, yeah, I cuddled the cat, and that's great, but like, the cat isn't a person. So I was becoming extremely touch-deprived because ordinarily, I would hug my friends. Uh, I would be in... Um, theater classes in person in which we, you know, with consent often um, use touch in various uh, warm-up exercises. Um, I would uh, sometimes go see the massage therapist. I would sometimes go see the acupuncturist. And like, no, none of those things are sex and they're not supposed to be sex, but they are human touch. So now you're telling me I'm not supposed to touch my friends or my family members, but I don't live in the same city as my family members anyway. Um, so it made the fact that I hadn't had sex in over uh, well over a year um, even more palpable. And so at some point I just basically couldn't handle it anymore. Or that's how I felt. And I'd never felt that way in my life. It was, it, I just felt so desperate. 
And I had no idea what to do about it, if anything. I'm sure some of you listening to this know what I'm talking about. It's terrible. Um, And I think that we will, you know, I'm not trying to criticize the way that health authorities have handled this pandemic because I don't know what they should have done differently. But I think we will look back back on this in the future and say that, you know, we really ignored people's mental health, especially the elderly, uh, but everyone else as well, and especially single people. And I would not have gotten an apartment by myself if I had known that COVID was going to come sneaking up like it did. I would have gotten a roommate. And I mean, no, you don't generally cuddle your roommates, but I mean, it's at least some company and sometimes you can hug them and whatever. Anyway, I don't have a roommate. Uh, Not a human roommate, anyway. And I am single and uh, it was getting really bad. And so I started to take Tinder a bit more seriously. And it started taking over my life. And I mean, is that sad and pathetic? Sure. But taking over what life? There was nothing else going on. I volunteer sometimes. Uh, I was taking some classes online, but like they had sort of mostly wound down by then. So like, yeah, to take over your life, that's sad. But like, if you don't have a life to take over, I guess it doesn't seem as terrible. It's just something to do. Obsessing over Tinder is something to do. I don't recommend it, please don't. But it is an activity. And the day has to be filled with activities. You know, get up, drink tea, write in journal, eat breakfast, wash dishes, repeat, cook, eat, repeat. I don't know, you have to have activities. God knows I hate cleaning and I never do it. So yeah, swiping, it's an activity. Uh, So I'm gonna read you parts of my pandemic journal now. It's very embarrassing, and you will see why I probably don't want to keep them. Um, but I shared parts of them in class, in playwriting class, and people found my vulnerability very relatable, so hopefully you will as well. Okay, so this is from December 4th. Uh... Okay. Okay, so obviously I have a lot of questions about my date tomorrow. Like, is he going to be really annoying because he's a wannabe stand-up comedian? Spoiler alert, yes. Is he going to use me as a test audience for his jokes? Because maybe I can put up with that, but only for one night. And I mean, one night is fine, but that's not really what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is my pandemic sex buddy. It was either the Netherlands or Denmark. I'm sorry to those countries for mixing them up. They don't even start with the same letter. One of them told their citizens early on in the pandemic to get a sex buddy. Shout out to my friend Dorian for telling me about that and that it's spelled S-E-K-S buddy. 
And uh, when some people didn't like that, they um, rescinded and called it a cuddle buddy instead. But it was too late because we all knew. We all knew what they really meant. And I mean, I love cuddling equally with sex. So I'm looking for both in the same person. Um, yeah, I'm looking for my pandemic sex buddy. I'm not looking for my for a series of one night stands. Spoiler alert. A series of one night stands is exactly what I got. Okay, back to the journal. What else are my other questions? Is he sleeping with other people? Ha <laughs> ha. Spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, the other question I had on December 4th in, for my journal, am I putting the health of my 93-year-old grandmother in jeopardy by being intimate with this random dude? Because um, I was going to go to Toronto in mid-December, and I did. And fortunately did not give my grandmother COVID. Um, back to the journal. Because I mean it's not worth it. Well, I'm lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did. Brilliant song, truly. Those are some amazing Bare Naked Ladies songs. The only good Bare Naked Ladies songs were written by Stephen Page. The others are basically nothing without him. They should have just formed a new band and called it something else. But no, they continue with the same name, singing all the same songs. Anyway, okay, so I accidentally dyed a bit of the back of my neck. Purple. I tried to get it off with nail polish remover and it didn't work. Uh, that only works on surfaces. It doesn't work on skin. I tried some Windex. This is my uh, hairdresser, Angelina, told me that to do that, but it didn't work. Um, December 5th. Perhaps the day I finally have sex. It's hard to believe, but it has to happen sometime. I'm not joining a convent. Ideally, I guess I would date someone, like go on several dates with someone and then decide to have sex with them. But uh, life isn't really working like that right now. And where would I go on this date with this person? To a bar? To a club? To a show? To a museum? To a restaurant? So we're going for a walk. Hope it's not too cold out. Also, I hope it's better than the casual sex I had in my 20s. All of that was terrible. Hopefully, hopefully this will be better. I mean, there are a lot of factors involved, and a part of me is cynical to try and protect myself. But, like, I do think this is actually happening. Is it going to be, like is in my mind, like how I want it to be in my mind. No, nothing is like that. But I do think it's happening, for real. Not like any of the other myriad false Tinder alarms that have been going on for the past, like, 15 months. This one just worked out, I guess. For whatever reason. I'm going to be so nervous. I'm not going to be able to eat anything. I'm not even going to be able to cook anything. Maybe if I ordered some comfort food, I'd be able to eat that. Maybe like a pizza. I don't know. I had such weird dreams. December 7th. He still hasn't texted me. So I texted him. 
but all he wanted to talk about was Montreal smoked meat and bacon. What's that all about? All I wanted to say to him was like, when can you come over again? When can we do this again? Nope. Nothing like that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask him to come over tomorrow because I'm leaving the day after tomorrow for Toronto. But I can't handle the possible rejection if he says no or if he just doesn't answer. Uh, but I guess I'll just deal with the rejection if I have to. I just need to see him before I go. Otherwise, it'll be two weeks before I can see him again. And even if I see him tomorrow, it'll still be 11 days before I can see him again after that, at least. But 11 days is better than 14 days, right? He hasn't answered my text yet. I guess he's doing something. People do things, right? I mean, not me. I don't do things. I'm having a really hard time eating. I'm so anxious. But I'll do it. I'll eat. I'll eat my food. I'll eat my leftovers. Okay, so I think that's enough journal for you. That's probably more than enough journal for you. But this episode is about my journal, so... Um, so you see, you see what my pandemic journals are like and why I'm not saving them for posterity. They're awful, but um, they help. So if you're even remotely a person who likes writing, even a tiny bit, and you're struggling, struggling right now, I really recommend that you try journaling and don't reread it. Don't do what I just did. Um, don't censor yourself, don't assume it has to be good, don't check your spelling and grammar, don't reread it at all, just write. Just like Julia Cameron said, doesn't have to be in the morning, although it, it is a good time. Um, I would never tell anybody to do anything in the morning, because that would be major hypocrisy coming from me. I don't even see the morning most of the time. Sometimes I get up one, at 1 p.m. So, yeah. You don't have to do anything in the morning if you don't want to. But journaling first thing, I find, is extremely helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for this podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the next episode is probably going to be about the play I'm writing. I'm currently writing a play um, based on a true story. Most of my plays are based on true stories. They are fictionalized accounts of true events. Um, and one of the protagonists of my story is um, a man named Windy Earthworm. Yes, folks, Windy Earthworm. I will say the name Wendy Earthworm as many times as I said the name Wendell Beavers in this episode. So look forward to that. If you uh, ever want to Google him, it's Wendy with an I at the end, not a Y at the end. Um, he was a real life um, gay anarchist busker, street performer. Uh, born in the U.S., moved to Canada, probably for draft dodging purposes, if I had to guess, because um, he is a uh, was of the boomer generation, 
He very sadly passed away in 1993 from um, AIDS-related illness. And uh, yeah, my father met him in Huntingdon, Quebec uh, around 1987. And they developed a friendship. And um, I want to write a play about it. And I want to tell you all about it next episode. So uh, thank you for listening. Take care. Bye.